Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in this series called Plot Twist. Have you been enjoying hearing about this young man named Joseph? Uh, today we're going to shift gears a little bit, and it's interesting because that new song that we've been singing, um, it says, I'm calling on the God of Jacob. And I think it's pretty cool because today we're going to, it's this, this hero of the faith is mentioned in worship songs years and years later, but what we're going to discover today is this man named Jacob had some issues. All right, this man named Jacob, the title of the sermon today is called A Daddy with Issues, all right? And so we're going to talk about, we're going to shift gears in this plot twist, and we are going to shift the subject a little bit from the young man named Joseph, and we're going to take, it, what, take a look at what Scripture has to say in the next couple chapters about his father. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we, anytime we mention the word uh, a plot twist, we've been kind of referencing to a moment in time, a moment in life. Have you ever experienced a moment, church, where something doesn't seem to go your way? <laughs> Understatement, right? You guys are like, oh yes, we gasped for that, right? Well, we have these moments in life where things don't always go according to our plan or our will or what we want to see happen. And what we're going to look at today is, for a few minutes, what we've seen over and over is Joseph's response to every time life doesn't go his way. Joseph's response to a plot twist put before him. But more often than not, if I'm going to be really, really honest, I tend to respond a lot more like Joseph's father, a man named Jacob, then I tend to respond like Joseph. Would anybody here agree with that? Would anybody here dare to be so honest this morning? And so we're going to look at this, this man named Jacob. And like I said, he, he is a man with issues. But you know what? Would you, could we be honest in church and say, you know what? We are Christ followers with issues as well. You turn to someone on your left, say, you got issues. Just say it. Say, you got issues, woman, man. Brother, sister, whatever, you got issues. We have issues. We have issues. When life doesn't go our way, there's a few things I want to look at. Joseph seemed to respond consistently with a few positive, uh, a few positive responses that we see from Joseph. Number one, uh, I tend to differ from Joseph. Uh, I, I tend to act like this when a plot twist comes into my life, when something happens that I'm not ready for, a change that I don't necessarily want to make, or something new that I'm not necessarily open to. Number one, we often respond negatively rather than positively, right? When life seems to flip, when a situation doesn't go our way, many times my immediate response is to think on the negative repercussions instead of looking for anything positive. Uh, is there anybody here like me that occasionally when something happens, you just need to take a moment, you need to take a breath, you need to slow down, you need to breathe, you need to take a minute before thinking or saying anything out loud or doing anything, amen? Number two, often we tend to view our plot twists, our situations, and, and what I would mean by this is we tend to view our life, our situation, our problems from a, hor a horizontal perspective instead of God's vertical perspective. 
Has anybody here ever been stuck in traffic on the I-15? Right? And I remember this, like you can be stuck in traffic on your way to the airport, running late for that flight. And you know what's interesting is all of a sudden when you make it, when you, when you get to your flight on Southwest, that's these days if it doesn't get canceled, right? But if you make it to the, to the flight on time, and you know what's interesting is that flight, is that airline takes off here in Vegas and it goes over the 15. What happens when that altitude increases? When you're in, it's interesting how like traffic on the freeway doesn't look so terrible from up above, does it? Things don't look quite so crowded and congested when you have a, a vertical type perspective, but often in life we kind of just view it from our human perspective, and why is it that until the situation gets dire, until the situation gets really, really tough, why is it that we sometimes don't instantly try to look for God's vertical perspective on a situation? I think that's something Joseph became really, really in tune with with the Lord. He was probably just looking, God, you've got to be doing something through this situation. Let's not be too late to bring God's point of view into the situation. Amen? Number three, if you're like me, here's another one, and none of us would ever do this, but we resist what is new, especially if it's too good to be true. We're going to see this in Scripture today. We're going to see this in Scripture, and we saw this a little bit last week. Remember this in, in, in Genesis, I believe it was uh, chapter 42 where we finished, right? We saw something good happen to the family, and they resisted it. They couldn't believe it. They actually like, were like, we're going to get in trouble over this extra money, extra food, extra money. We, like, they were blessed, but they didn't even necessarily recognize it. And I would say it like this, when it comes to change, watch out. We could all throw our hands up in the air, but when was the last time you showed no resistance to something new? Oh, got quiet in here, right? When was the last time you and I, we showed no resistance to something new? It could be like a new parking spot at church. You, I know some of you own your parking spots out there, right? It could be resistance. They, my chair has been moved five feet in the sanctuary, right? That's my chair. I remember when we tried blocking off the aisle when we had two services because we are like, maybe let's try to get everybody together. And all of you side sitters were like, I am not sitting in the middle no matter what. I will be raptured before I sit in the middle section. Right? I remember, remember when we were trying to rope it off so we could get closer in community and all that stuff? Right? That's kind of funny. But man, why is it that our first response is, tends to be like, God, I don't want to leave what's familiar. I don't, I mean, it could be a work, it could be anything, a work environment. Our first response is, is to focus on why or the how or, 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 or what can't happen versus what God can make happen or what God can allow to happen. Now, I don't mean we need to live in, have you seen that movie Trolls where they talk about living in a world of cupcakes and rainbows all the time? I don't mean we need to live in a world with unrealistic expectations where there's no problems and no sin, but my goodness, sometimes... I think one of the reasons Joseph was so successful is because he was open to God doing something new. And, 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 and I don't know, as I get into this uh, fourth decade of my life, I start to realize that, man, um, I think my responses only get more and more, um, oh gosh, <laughs> say my habits intensify the older I get. Is that a nice way to say it? I'm just saying, like my habits, like the things that I want to do, that urge, it intensifies the older I get. And instead of getting better as we go through decade after decade, we can get, we can get a little bit bitter or brittle. 
So we're going to talk about a man that I believe exudes all these qualities that we are talking about. I actually, sadly, I think I find more in common with Jacob than I do Joseph in my own life when I allow Scripture to just kind of observe me. Joseph's father, Jacob, he exhibits a lot of qualities. Can I say it like this? It's interesting. He was in one of our worship songs today. But I think he, 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 he shows us a lot of qualities of a poor father. Uh, many qualities of poor parenting skills. And, and Jacob, unfortunately, we know like earlier in his life, he is still a man at the end of his life that I think is wrestling with his faith, wrestling with his God. For some reason, his, his first reaction always seems to be the negative. No matter how old he gets, no matter how much he sees God move, he's been blessed with 12 sons, right? And he still seems to see a lot of the negative. He shows poor judgment. As a father, he, he doesn't lead. He's a suspicious person. He has a resistant mind to change. And, and, and really, we could say it like this. We know from uh, when Joseph was 17 that there are some real issues with Jacob and his fathering, his parenting. Can we get into the word? Genesis chapter 42, verse 35. If you have your Bible, would you open it up? If you have a smartphone, would you turn it on? And if you're at home watching, throw it up on your laptop or your computer or your screen. But Genesis chapter 42, verse 35, and this is a bit of a a reminder from where we left off if you were with us last week. Are you ready to get into God's Word? You know what, can we begin just with a word? I, I, I thought this was an interesting message. My brother was, I was with my brother last night, he goes, how's it going? And I said, I don't know what God wants to speak through this message. I don't feel very good about it. But you know what? I know when we get into God's word, he's going to do the talking. Amen? Can we bow our heads? Let's pray. God, we come to you today, and Lord, we just pray that your scripture comes alive to us today. Lord, that your truth will be spoken to us. God, that your Holy Spirit would build up those who need to be built up. God, that your Holy Spirit would bring healing in those areas that need your, your ointment, your salve, your healing in our hearts. God, and that your Holy Spirit would convict us. God, we're open to your correction. Can we, can we just pray that in our, God, we are open to your correction, hearing from you. In Jesus' name, come and speak. Amen? Amen. Verse 35 of chapter 42. Let's read it together if you have a Bible. As they emptied out their sacks, the brothers are coming back from Egypt. There in each man's sack was the bag of money they had paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. As we pick this story up, Jacob's sons, now they have returned from their journey home and no doubt they share this crazy story this interesting, intriguing encounter, this curious encounter with the prime minister of Egypt. Catching us up a little bit, I'm assuming we know who this prime minister is, but if you've kind of been missing a little bit, this prime minister is their long-lost brother. Turn to someone and say his name. It's Joseph, right? It's Joseph. It is their brother, and they tell their father about this experience and their, their strange dealings with this man. Why would he take such an interest in, the, in, in why they're there? Of course, you know, as we talk about this, keep in mind, church, that one of their brothers and and one of Jacob's sons, his name is Simeon, is still been taken. He is still imprisoned or he is, I don't know if it's house arrest, prison, jail, whatever it is, I bet you Joseph took care of him would be my guess. But no matter what, he is not allowed to return home 
to Canaan with his brothers, with his family. He is being held hostage until they return with their younger brother named Benjamin. Jacob, we're going to see a father who, when crisis hits, and how many of us have been through crisis? When a pandemic hits, when economic things hit, when, when a, a job issue hits, when a health issue hits in your family, mothers, fathers, we have a choice and a chance and a moment to leave. We have a moment in crisis to lead our families and our loved ones. Our friends, you don't have to be a father or a mother to be a leader. You can lead at work. You can lead wherever you go. And we're going to see in that moment, Jacob has a choice, and he totally misses it. He totally misses the mark as the spiritual leader of his family. I think it's interesting. He could be curious. He could be interested in all of this information. He could be wondering, God, what is it you're doing in this situation? Like, we have all our money. We have all the food. He could be telling his sons, sons, if we just trust in God, he's going to work this out. Is there something that lies ahead of us? What is going on here? But the reality is, and maybe some of us can relate to a parent like this. Maybe some of us can relate to a mother like this or a grandparent. That's just not who Jacob is. Jacob is not the spiritual leader of his home. It's not to be. It's not so. Let's look at verse 36. Jacob exclaimed to his sons, you are robbing me of my children. And look where he goes. Flash from the past. Joseph is gone. As if they don't already know that. Right? If you know this story. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. And look at this. Would you read that last line? How many of us kind of fall into this Jacob-type thinking? Everything is what? It's about me. It's about me. It's about my. It's about, that's that Toby Keith song, right? I want to talk about me, right? Everything is going against me is his initial reaction. He goes right to the worst case scenario. He saw nothing in this situation as potentially God's provision. My goodness, they have all their money returned. They have full grain. They have full stacks of food, stacks of cash. And unfortunately, I believe the parenting skills of Jacob have been passed along to his sons because remember their first reaction when they found the money in their bags. Their first reaction wasn't to say, oh my gosh, what a blessing, right? Remember, this famine, they didn't know. Maybe this famine, could have, that could, it could have ended, and they, just, they, they are set up to, like they have money to invest in the middle of a famine, right? They didn't know it was going to continue on. Joseph knew, but the brothers didn't know this, and unfortunately, they, they, the Bible says this. Remember this, it says, the brothers were dismayed when they found the money, they were a lot like their dad. They had a, a guilty conscience. They had a, it was that, what was that Elvis song, Suspicious Minds? We can go on together, right, with suspicious minds, right? It's like, this is who these guys are. I, man, should I, I could be Elvis at the end of his life. <laughs> Fat Elvis, we know, right? You'd be good at that, man, when he was in those 40s. I think he made it to that far, right? Not skinny Elvis, but I could be the other one. Um, my goodness. Let's get back into God's Word. Come on. <laughs> Jacob is not the type of dad that's even thankful that his sons have returned. They've returned with food. They've returned with money. Yes, Simeon is gone, but there is hope. All the, after all, remember the, the, the prime minister, all he asked for was, hey, 
if you aren't lying, if you're telling the truth, bring your youngest brother back here and prove to me that you're not spies. Prove to me. He's shown him some favor. It's, it's interesting, but the patriarch of the family goes back to what he does best. Joseph is dead. Everything's going against me. Everyone is against me. Everything is against me. And he's just basically, I, I think of jo Jacob like this, he's just not the spiritual leader of his home. He doesn't know how to be. He's been wrestling with God his whole life, and he will do it till, he, till the day he dies. Doesn't mean he doesn't love the Lord, but I think he has some trust issues. He has some areas where he just hasn't matured, and he has grown old into a closed mind, closed off old man. An old man that just reacts in fear. Verse 37. Look at the brothers stepping up here. Then Reuben said to his father, you may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. Now, we read the Bible and we just kind of skip on to the next verse, but any grandparents in the house? I mean, I am sorry. What? I'm thinking, what if Sean said that to you? You know, you can have two of my kids if I don't bring your favorite back. Like, the fact that this even comes out of Reuben's mouth, that this is even something that, like, he's like, maybe pops will go for this. What an unhealthy family culture. My goodness, stop and think about it. You may kill my two sons, your grand, oh, oh, those kids happen to be your grandsons, Jacob, right? If I don't bring Benjamin back to you, I'll be responsible for him. Let's finish this verse, and I promise to bring him back. Reuben intervenes in this situation. Read this story with us, right? He's, dad, dad, we got to fix this. Dad, we got to move. Dad, we got to do something. His sons returned with all the money, all the food, everything they needed. It was free of charge given to them by the governor, the prime minister. And I think it's interesting that, that Jacob didn't even seem to thank God for God's provision. Yes, they're in the middle of a trial. Yes, they're in the middle of a famine. But man, they haven't starved to death. People were dying in this famine, right? They are still alive. They have money. They have food. They are alive. They're fed and they're healthy. And could we say it like this? All Jacob knows is how to respond with a horizontal view. How many of us have ever like, loved a magical day on Main Street at Disneyland? When it's shoulder to shoulder packed trying to get out of the fireworks, right? When you view it, when you're like shoulder to shoulder with people, it's amazing how crowded places like that feel right? It's amazing. Verse 38, Jacob replied, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead. And read this language, church, and he is all I have left. Thanks, dad. <laughs> Remember, how many sons does Jacob have? Right? How many, right? The 12 tribes of what? Israel, like, the, I mean, Judah is in the mix, the line of Jesus himself, right? Thanks, thanks, Pops. Joseph is dead, and he is all I have left. Benjamin is all I have left. If anything should happen to him, Benjamin, on, our, on, the, on your journey, you would send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. Um, I think maybe they should have just sent him to his grave. No, I'm teasing my goodness. But it's amazing. This Jacob, he's amazing. It's as if his other children, think of this. Would you write this in your notes? He, he parents as if the other kids don't even exist. 
And remember what happened to Joseph. Remember why Joseph, right? The favoritism that he showed to Joseph. The way, because Joseph and Benjamin were the, the, the blood brothers, the sons of who? Right? They were the sons of the wife he loved the most, Rachel. He shows this complete favoritism towards the two of them. And it almost seems like the other ten sons, even in his language, don't really matter. Look, look, some translations say, Jacob says this, he says, you are robbing me of my children. And, and to him, it's, it's, it's like they are almost a separate entity. They're almost separate altogether, not nearly as, uh, as meaningful, not nearly as valuable to Jacob as these two brothers. He says, these two brothers. He says, my sons. Notice he never says this, right? He never says, your brothers. He says, my sons. He never says, your brothers. And he's sowing these seeds of favoritism his entire time as a father. I think it's, in, it's interesting to me just through his language here. It's clear from the disappearance, the loss, what he thinks the death of Joseph, Jacob has learned nothing. He's learned nothing about his boys. He's learned nothing about how to parent them. All he says, all he says is, I only have one son left. So he literally, he goes, I only have one son left. Think about how Reuben and Judah, how, how did they feel when their father said, I only have one son left? <laughs> Ten of you? Yeah, I only have one. Number one, Jacob seems to make it a habit of leaving God out of the picture when he faces a trial. Now, we know how this story ends. Um, We've probably all read the story of Joseph before, and I think of like his dad, and there's part of me, when I know how a story ends, I just go, Jacob, why didn't you trust? Jacob, why wouldn't you trust in God more? But it's, I think it's easy for me, because I know the ending, and when I feel the Holy Spirit speak to me, I think about it, I go, I feel the Holy Spirit nudging and saying, Joey, why don't you trust God more? Would you insert your name into that question a little bit, church? right? Would, would, would you really trust God in this situation? Number one, would you write this down? What habits have you formed that leave God out of the picture? What habits have you formed? What, what have we formed? We, we all do it that we're, we, we leave God out of the picture. We don't announce it and actually, we're not bold enough to say it out loud, but we do it all the time, right? Where do we leave God out of the situation? We model it. We do it. I think it's interesting, I kind of go, Jacob, why didn't you just trust God? But then I sit there and I think of a situation that happened last week and I go, why didn't I trust you last week? Why didn't I trust you last month with that issue I thought I could handle on my own? And Jacob, I feel like I have a lot more in common, unfortunately, with Jacob than I do Joseph. This, this, this guy, like, it's all about me. Why are you robbing me of my children? Treating these other brothers this way. Genesis chapter 43. If you have your Bible, would you jump into the next page this morning? But as we talk about Jacob and his response versus Joseph, um, Joseph seemed to, it seemed like he rested calmly with God when he faced, seems like he rested curious with God when he faced the trial. Do we rest curious and calmly with God or do we tend to hit the panic button? right? We're all freaking out, losing our minds. Not Joseph. But I think we all have this Jacob 
side to us, don't we? A side that reacts negatively first, um, a side that gets suspicious really quick, a, a side that gets fearful, a side that gets defeated. And, and Jacob's response is, my favorite, my one son, my Benjamin is not going down there with you guys. Um, before we get into the next chapter, I just want to say this, and, and I, was, I had this thought this week. I'm so glad there aren't Bible stories written about me. Aren't you? Think about that. Because I'm hammering Jacob, but it's so true. But aren't you so thankful you aren't in the Bible? Because you'd be outed. Something would have come up, right? We, and I, we would all would be like, God, thank you so much that you wrote this about them and not me. I want to learn about them and not thee, right? My goodness. Except we are going to learn about ourselves this morning, amen? Genesis 43, let's get into our core text this morning. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 43. And this is the interaction between the father and his other ten sons that don't seem to be as important to him. But the famine continued. Would you underline that? It continued to rage, to ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, don't skip past that. Read that. Read that slowly. When the grain they had brought back from Egypt was what, church? Almost gone. Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. Do we remember where Simeon is still? He's still in prison. Dad hasn't lifted a finger to help. He hasn't done anything. But Judah said in verse 3, the man was serious when he warned us. You won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Here is a truth about moving when God requires, demands, or instructs us to move. Here's, here's a truth about obedience when God has required or instructed us to be obedient. So you want to know what it is? Number two, eventually God will always get his way. Eventually God will always get his way. When God leads and our response is resistance, our response is, our response is to fight his leading, whether it's negative thinking, whether it's resisting change, whether it's denial, whether it's delay, guess what? God will allow us to get into more trouble to move us. Did you catch that? God will allow us to continue to dig ourselves in a hole in order for us to get it. And that's what happens here in verse 4 and in, in chapter 43 of Genesis, Jacob is resistant. He doesn't listen to the message that his sons brought back. He doesn't send them out with Benjamin. And so what does he allow? He allows their grain, their food, he allows them to get compromised. He allows them to become desperate. The famine didn't stop. They're probably thinking, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I can just be disobedient. I don't need to do what God told me to do. We're going to make it. No, the famine does not stop. And eventually, God will allow us to get into more trouble if we don't move. Verse 4, if you send Benjamin with us, look at the truth that these brothers are, are putting out. We will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, look at this, they say, we won't go either. I'm not putting my neck on the line. I saw the look in that governor's face. He was serious. If we don't bring our youngest brother, he will treat us as spies and something bad will happen. Remember the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. So potentially, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe months after their first trip have gone by. The famine didn't subside and the family is once again desperate. 
Months have passed, and Jacob has been refusing what was first told to him, and they say, Dad, we can't go back unless we listen. Dad, we can't go back unless we're obedient to what the governor said. And not only is Jacob in denial, not only is he just focusing on himself and Benjamin, but remember, and, and, and think of this, like as siblings, growing up and dealing, trying to honor your, your father, yet he's allowing your brother to remain in prison. Right? He's allowing Simeon to be held captive this entire time, and, and, and maybe he's just resigned himself. Okay, he, he has, he said it. Simeon's dead. Joseph's dead, right? Verse 6, that's my alert to move on to verse 6. Ready? Why were you so cruel to me? Why were you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned. And look at him, blame, deflect, point fingers. He does anything but address the issue, right? Do we pick up on this? This guy is still a deceiver. He's still a manipulator. It's all his name. He's living up to his namesake once again. Why are you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned? Why did you tell him you had another brother? Poor me, poor me, poor me. He shifts the blame. He feels sorry for himself. Why did you say you had a brother? And then basically, so what he's actually saying, church, is this. Why didn't you just lie? Right? We were like, and we got to be careful. Like, why didn't you just lie, right? When cornered, when frustrated, when feeling grief, whatever it is, Jacob's default reaction seems to still be, I'm going to be deceitful here. I can have some trick. Get me out of this situation. Is it any wonder that Joseph's brothers did the things that they did to Joseph, right? When the Bible says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, clearly Jacob does not believe that. Right? He doesn't live that. It says, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. This father taught them by example. This father taught them by example that there's a time to lie. Right? Why didn't you just lie? Right? I, I, I was at um, Panda Express this week, and my kids didn't know because, like, all these cups look the same. But they had asked me. They had asked me, and I thought about this. I remember we were, we were eating our Panda Express, good old home cook cooking from dad, home cooked meal. And... Uh, but we had four water cups. Now, they were red cups, so you could, they looked like they were kids' meal cups. But my kiddos, they, they said, can we get some Sprite or some Dr. Pepper? And this was true. The, the, the thought went through my head to just say, you know what, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember, like, feeling this check. I went, man, your, your kids need to know, even in the little things, you need to be honest. Right? And yes, that soda machine is right there. And yes, you could go fill it up, right? But did we pay for it? And I know these climbing recession, these prices are insane. Inflation is real. But it was like, I told them, I said, no, actually, kiddos, these are just water cups. And their response was perfect. They're like, okay, we're drinking water. No big deal. Right? But I remember in that moment, it's like those little parents, do we do that? Do we teach our kids? There's, there's just little things, and we all do it sometimes. It's like, what's our, what's our price? What, where do we just kind of bend the truth a little bit, even for our kids to see? what Jacob did. He modeled it to them. Verse 7, the man kept asking us questions, Dad, about our family. Dad, he kept asking us questions. We have no idea. He asked, is your father still alive? He asked, do you have another brother? This is verse 7, if you're with me. So we answered his questions. How could we know what he would say? How would we know what he would say? How would we know he would say, bring this younger brother down here? Jacob's brothers, are try, they're, they're setting the record straight, and, and, and dad just, Jacob won't listen. He won't listen to his sons. He, 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 he's, he's like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. And, and they're sitting here going, dad, we needed food. Dad, we were starving in a famine. We had money. 
We needed food. We needed to get it back here to our kids. We needed to get it back here to you so we could all survive this drought. Verse 8, Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, look at this. This is the reality. We will all die of starvation. The only thing that seems to get Jacob's attention is suffering. Dad, the reality is if we don't go and take Benjamin, Benjamin and the rest of us, the 10 of us that you care so much about, we will die. And our grandkids. He says, we will all die of starvation. And not only we, but you and our little ones, your grandkids. Stop being so stubborn. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. And then, would you, look at verse 10. Look at, look at this. Check out verse 10. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now. Oh my goodness. Some truth coming out. Dad, if we just had made the right decision months ago, nobody would be hungry. Right? Simeon would be home and Judah says, he's had enough. Dad, blame me. And how many of you know, in a crisis, in a pandemic, in a, when somebody loses a job, blame doesn't help anything, right? In a crisis mode, blame does not help, but Judah says, Dad, if you need some blame to get you moving, I'll take the blame, but we got to go. Somebody's got to make a decision because no decision is a decision, and it's killing us. And reluctantly, Jacob finally, what we're going to see, church, he finally gives in. But remember his first response, and why is this often my first response here it is, number one, he, he responds with denial, then he responds with delay, then he defaults and he responds to, with blame, and then he responds with deceit. None of us would ever behave the way Jacob behaves, would we? He denies, he delays, he blames, he deceives, and then he finally caves in, but I would say this, he reluctantly gives in. He gives in because at this point there's no other choice. Verse 11, let's finish this story up as we get ready to, to close um, this morning. Verse 11, so their father Jacob finally said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of the land. Take them down to the man as gifts. Balm, are you catching on what's going on here? Honey, gum, these, these, these things that are important in Canaan, let's go buy him off in Egypt. That's what he's saying. Let's go, let's go bribe him. <laughs> Pistachio nuts, almonds. Take double the money that was put in your sacks as it was probably someone's mistake. I think Jacob just, he reverts to who he truly is. When the pressure's on, the real Jacob seems to come out. He's no different now than when he deceived Esau. It worked then, right? This bribery, this little scandal that I pulled, it worked with my brother, and it's going to work with the prime minister too. And you know what I just think? I just think, man, what would have happened if these boys would have had a father that said, you know what, guys, sons, get over here. My 11 boys, you studs, you strong men. What would have happened if he would have said, you know what, I don't know what on earth God is doing here. But I know he sent you back here with full sacks of cash. He sent you back with full grain, full of food. I don't know what God's doing, but God provided then, and God's going to provide now, so you go and he will provide for you, he will care for you, and he will keep you safe. What if he would have led that way? But it's not him. 
That's not who Jacob is. It's not the type of father Jacob was. Verse 13. Let's look at what he says. Take your brother and go back to the man. May God, and this sounds pretty good here, may God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man. Look at this. He, it's like, just stop right there. You ever know when you're like on a roll and you do say something? Like, just stop, Jacob. That would have been it right there. May God give you mercy. But no, he just keeps talking, right? He just keeps talking. He just keeps talking. I remember when I, when I my goodness, the first time I asked my wife to go to lunch when I was young and skinny and good looking, and, and my sister was in the car, and I left her a message after church one Sunday, and I said, there's a few of us going to Jason's Deli, but if you'd like to come, that'd be cool. But you don't have to come. And I should have just left it like that. But then I repeated myself about five times in this conversation, this voicemail, the voicemail from you know where, it was the worst voicemail ever. And this was a God thing that we got married, because I literally was like, but if you want to come, that would be cool. But not that I want you to come, but if you don't want to come, you don't need to come to Jason's Deli. But if you do, I would enjoy it if your presence, if you were there, I would enjoy it. But you don't need to be there if you don't want to be there. No pressure. And meanwhile, my sister, who's like four, like a young lady at the time, she's like 15, she's literally in my ear going, hang up the phone, 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 hang up the phone. And I just keep talking, right? How many of us do that? Like, you just need to shut your, like, stop talking. Jacob, look at, Jacob, stop talking. Look what he says. God give you mercy as you go before the man. Cool, that's the pep talk. Dad's with us, let's go. Dad believes in us. But no, look what he says. So that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return, because it's all about Benjamin. But then he says this, look at this. But if I must lose my children, so be it. That, like that's, see you later, Dad. Like if I must lose my children, so be it. You know one of the biggest things I think we, that, that kids want to see, that our kids want to see out of us as parents, that, and, and you don't even need to be a parent, but people want to see this out of you as a Christ follower. Number three, just admit it when you aren't sure how to respond. Just admit it, right? It's okay to say that to your grandkids. I remember growing up thinking like my grandparents and my parents knew everything, and then now that I'm a parent, I'm like, wow, they were probably winging it like I feel like I'm winging it. Feel like I don't know what to do. I hope these kids don't take my opinion too seriously, right? Right? But man, maybe you've never heard an adult or a boss or someone in leadership say that, but it's like just admit it when you aren't sure how to respond because then you can look to the Lord. You can look to God. Jacob wasn't the type of father to sit down and have these real conversations with his kids to say, you know what? We're going to ask for God's direction. We're going to ask for God's wisdom. We're going to ask for God's wisdom and how we use this money, how we, how, we, how we trust in him. His farewell speech to his sons was, well, if you die, you die. And poor me. Right? His farewell speech was, woe is me. And if none of my sons come back, I'll just have to live with it. I'll just have to live with it. He, could have, like, he, he should have sent them off saying, God's going to provide. God's going to keep you safe. He kept you safe on the last journey. He gave you favor on the last journey. God's going to keep you safe. I declare that over my boys. But it's not Jacob. Verse 15. And these aren't boys. These are men. So the men, right? The men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt, and they presented themselves to Joseph. Danette, would you come on up and close us up and the worship team as we get ready to, we'll pray in a minute here. 
But I, I wonder like, what went on, this journey from Canaan to Egypt. I wonder what the boys were talking about. Does anybody here wonder that? Like, how did that conversation go? I'm sure there was like, not that any of us kids would ever talk about our parents, right? But I'm sure they were like, man, what is the deal with dad? And as much as I want to, it's like, goodness, are we ready for this story to end? One reason I'm ready for this story to end, because I'm ready to get to the good stuff. How many of us are ready for a happy ending? We're getting close. We're going to get there. How many of us are ready for a family reunion? How many of us are ready to see Joseph just restore and rock the house and restore everyone, show the most massive forgiveness we've ever seen? Like, that's what's coming. But you know what's interesting is I just thought the simple, the simple heart behind this message is just, you know what? How are we going to view our problems? How are we going to view life? Are we going to be horizontal in our view like Jacob? Or are we going to be challenged by the Lord to take a vertical approach? God, we, could we just say it like this as we close today? God, I need you to correct the way I think. Would you say that today? God, I need you to correct my point of view. God, I need you to correct my ways. Because I think, man, what type of grandparent are you going to be? What type of father do you want to be? What type of mother do you want to be, right? Do you want to be this, this person who just has such a limited viewpoint of what God is doing? Or do you want to be someone who my goodness, it's like Joseph where we just respond with a viewpoint of God's vertical view on a situation. God's wisdom into situations. God, we need you to correct our, our thinking, don't we? God, we need you to show us something new. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, as we pray, Heavenly Father, we, we come to you today and we thank you that we can gather. And Lord, would you just inspect us today when we raise that uh, symbol, that banner, that flag of paranoia and suspicion and fear. When we, when we act like Jacob and we say, man, the world is, everything's against me. My boss is against me. My friends are against me. My parents are against me. My kids are against me. They just, nobody understands me. God, help us to change course. God, help us to recognize when our mental capacity gets very limited and gets very negative. And I just want to say this as we close and as we get ready to pray. God, so much of the cure is simply talking to you. So much of the cure is simply confessing to you. Maybe you're here today and you just need to say it. You know what? I have fallen into the, I've fallen into a habit of being like Jacob where I just habitually, it just, it comes naturally to get negative and to complain. If that's you this morning, I just want you to just kind of admit it to, would you just talk to the Lord right now? Would you just have a conversation with him right now? Say, God, I have fallen into the habit of negative thinking and complaining. God, help me look at my situation from your point of view. I want to view my life vertically. And God, we know how hard it can be to change. God, we know how easy it is that when we walk right out these doors, when we leave here today, it's so easy to just think the same way we did. But God, we pray for your strength. We pray for your Holy Spirit's nudging and speaking and persistence and that you would deal with our negative thoughts. 
God, you would deal with the Jacob inside all of us, that you would deal with a daddy with issues, a mom with issues, people with issues. God, help us to stay open to something new. God, help us to not respond like Jacob with a no right away all the time. Maybe you're here today and all you've known is a mother or a father like Jacob. Maybe that's all you've known. That's what you were raised with, a weak, deceptive, manipulative parent, a lying parent, a paranoid parent, a parent that shows favoritism and doesn't show wisdom. Maybe that's what you've known. Maybe that's what you were raised with every turn in your life. That's the type of parenting that was an example to you. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say maybe you're here today and you need to experience a touch from the Heavenly Father who wants you to know He doesn't care about your performance, but He just wants you to know He cares about your presence. I believe that's a word for someone today. You need to know that your Father in Heaven doesn't care about your performance, but He cares deeply about your presence. He cares about your presence. He cares about you being close. Our Heavenly Father delights in His kids. And I'd even shift gears and say, our Heavenly Father wants you to know that He's forgiven you. He cares for you. He's forgiven you. He cares for you so much that the Bible says that He sent His Son Jesus for you. That He sent His Son Jesus to the cross to be the hope for humanity, to be the bridge to the Father. God is waiting on you, ready and waiting on you to say yes to Jesus, yes to forgiveness, yes to new life, yes to eternal life, yes to His grace. And it's all because of a name. It's all because of His Son. His name is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus went to the cross so anyone that calls on Him would be forgiven, would be transformed. The Bible says that He went to that cross, that He died on that cross, and that He was taken off. He was put into a tomb, and for three days, the Bible says this, He was dead. And then it says, death was defeated. The veil was torn, the stone was rolled away, and he rose again. He was seen by as many as 500 people. None of them went back on what they had seen. The Bible says he ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father to appeal to us today that if you want to meet with Jesus, if you want to believe in him, all you have to do, I think, in our hearts is acknowledge him, is to say yes from him, to turn from your sin and just say yes to him. One of the ways we say yes to Jesus in church is just by lifting our hands, lifting our eyes, and just saying, you know what, publicly in this space, in this place, I'm going to acknowledge Jesus. Jesus as Lord and Savior that I am going to follow. The Bible says that if we acknowledge Him before men, that Jesus will acknowledge us before God. If that's you this morning, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I just want to ask you to lift your eyes or lift your hand in my direction. You could just peek it up, right? It doesn't necessarily uh, uh, mean anything other than in your heart you're acknowledging. And we want to know. We want to know of a decision you've made. So that's you. If you want to say yes to him, would you just lift your hand? I'm going to count to three. One, two, and three. Would you just lift him up? I see you over there. I see you over there. I see you back there, young man. I see you back there. I see you over there. Anybody else over in this area? I see you, young man. Would you lift your eyes? Or would you lift your hand? Amen. For those of us that lifted our hands today, the Bible says that when we become a Christ follower, we become brand new on the inside. 
that we are not the same. So you don't need to be Jacob anymore, but you can be more like Joseph. Because the Bible says because of Jesus, a new life has begun. A new life has begun. Church, let's all pray. Heavenly Father, let's say it, church. Come on. Heavenly Father, come on. We're like six or seven people, so we should be excited. Come on. Heavenly Father, would you forgive me of my sins? Change me. Make me new. Say it with me. Jesus, be my Savior. And Jesus, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Be my Lord. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.